Alright, how you doing everybody? Casey Ryan here again for another episode of The Cutting Room Floor, a little podcast that I started to showcase indie entertainers and creative types from all walks. I, I like to say if you've got a story to tell or a project to sell, then I want to hear from you. Uh, so the easiest way to get a hold of me is on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me there uh, at Cutting Room MRB or you can like me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Cutting Room MRB. A uh, quick thank you, as we always do at the top of the show, uh, to The Wolf, who acts as my announcer. You can listen to him and his dear wife, Susan, every Friday night right here on the Mixed Radio Network uh, on the Live from the Morgue podcast from 8 o'clock until midnight. Uh, always have fun hanging around, horsing around with the guys over at the Morgue. So, uh, great, great show that they run over there. Uh, also, a quick thank you to Michael Cardillo, who opened up uh, that, that little jingle for me there. So, uh, you know, put out a call for it. Free gratis is for nothing, and uh, you know that was that was the extent of it. So I always make sure to give uh, give Michael credit for uh, you know having put that together. So it's kind of an interesting show today. I don't get a chance to do this very often, and it's uh, it's a point of pride, quite frankly, when when you get to have somebody on the show that you've actually met offline. Uh, Paul and I have been friends for a number of years. We work at the same outfit, but I won't go into where. Uh, don't look at me like that. I have friends. Uh, he works as an IT consultant, uh, but uh, again, that's a little bit beyond the scope of what we're going to be talking about. Um, also has a, uh, a background, a, a heritage in, um, in horse racing, uh, and he's developed an app for it. And I thought this was kind of a cool idea because primarily I like to go for a little bit out of my comfort zone once in a while. I've never had anybody on to talk about horse racing, and uh, you know, there's certainly a creative process and the whole science behind this. Uh, and the more I got to talking to Paul, I thought, you know what, uh, you know, it'd be fun to have him on as well. Uh, so without further ado, the Cunning Movie Floor proudly welcomes a good friend of mine uh, from Montreal, no less, uh, by way of Galway, Ireland, uh, Paul Tormey. Paul, how you doing? Very good, Casey. Great to be on the show. Thanks for having me. So the first question I always have for everybody is a, is a bit of an icebreaker, and I'm going to be embarrassed if I got this wrong, but did I, get, did I get all of your bio information right, or is that close enough? Very close. I, I wasn't born in Galway, but I spent uh, most of my formative years there. So uh, you're you're like ninety seven percent accurate. Well, okay. Well, that, that, we're, okay. Well, no, I'm learning something new about you. Where were you born, actually? I was born in a very small village uh, called Bunbrusna, which is in right in the middle of Ireland. Um, but when I was uh, eighteen, I left for Germany um, to uh, work there for a year before college, and then I went to college in Galway, and, and you know, since I've been nineteen. 19 to 32 probably spent most of my years in Galway, so a few places here and there, a bit of traveling in between, um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I called Galway home for sure. Well, and, and how far away, I, I mean, I'll ask an ignorant question, but how far away is Galway from uh, from where you were? Uh, it's not that far at all, it's about a two-hour drive now, um, and uh, you know, Ireland is tiny. When you when you look at uh, Canada and the distances that you guys have to travel to, to meet each other, um, Ireland is, is, is tiny by comparison. Yeah, I mean, you can get across the, the whole country yeah. in a day, basically, right? Yes, absolutely, yes, yeah. Uh, so, uh, now, uh, you and I have talked about this before a couple of times over the years, but, but um, I, I understand that, you, that this is an interest that comes by you honestly, right? That, that uh, you were raised actually on a, on a horse farm, is that possible? Yeah, that's right. Um, raised on a horse farm. My dad was a, a jockey, an amateur jockey, um, a trainer and owner. Um, so we grew up around horses, that was his, his main business, and you know, when I was, we were all kids, we were brought to every corner of Ireland where there was a racetrack and uh, I, I definitely have some interesting memories of especially going up to Northern Ireland at the time um, we'd have to go up with the horse box to, uh, to race at the Northern Ireland meetings and there would be checkpoints, soldiers would come in and uh, check the, the back of the, the horse box for, for guns and explosives and uh, so it was, it was a strange time back then um, it's great to see that, that it's not there anymore um, but I, it was interesting for me because I got to see lots of Ireland from uh, traveling around going to race meetings. You know, and you, like myself, or uh, I mean, I hadn't even considered that, but, but you, like myself, are of the generation that is old enough to, to remember what they call the, uh, the troubles, as I think what they call them, right? Yeah, yeah. As a kid, I, I definitely remember a lot of the, um, you know, the, the, the bombs that were off. Um, you know, there was big ones in um, Fermanagh and... Uh, Skilling. Um, so yeah, I, I do remember it, um, always having, you know, the news would always be on and, and there would be always something happening every couple of weeks and it, it was really, really tough time. 
there. We weren't affected by it that much in the south, um, but when you went over the border, you definitely realized that you know there, there was an added tension up there, and um, people didn't trust each other as a, as a result. And uh, you mentioned that your father was uh, was an amateur jockey and and, uh, and breeder and trainer. I mean, did you ever think of following in uh, in the family business? I think I did. Uh, I think my my father obviously um, got us all involved, but never pushed us uh, to do it. So uh, growing up on a farm, everyone just has to pitch us in. So pitch in. So I have a brother and two sisters, and we all rode um, competitively, and uh, I. I enjoyed it. I, I used to school the horses, so I would uh, jump the horses over these, these big fences, and it's really exciting. I mean, um, it, they are amazing animals, and um, I, I I think I found that to stay in the business like that, you have to be 100% passionate and committed about it, um, and I guess I wasn't totally, um, so I, I kind of fell out of it, but uh, my brother is still involved in the business, and I have some cousins that are still involved and uncles still involved, so you, there's no getting away from it. It's a big part of my background. It's actually nice to come back into it now, having uh, stepped away from it when I, when I left Ireland. Um, and yeah, so it's it's uh, it's a good sign for me that you can never forget where you came from, your background, because you never know when it might be useful and when you'll actually revert back to it. Well, no, and I'll I'll admit to that too. That uh, I mean, you know, my family had a, uh, a heavy presence in the mining business, and you know, a small town in northern Ontario there, and. and number of times that it comes up in conversations you just you never know it like you, you soak up information like a sponge over your life and you never know when you're going to need it right yeah yeah very true very true um so i mean th th there really is like you said you needed to be 100 percent dedicated to it but there really is i mean I, I started thinking of all the you know the, the data that would be collected and all the little nuances that need to be collected you know over time and there really is a whole science to this as a sport right De definitely, and I think that um, I would say there's a mix between science and art, I guess. Um, but I think the, the people involved in the sport are only coming around to the, the fact that the science can be used uh, to any day, any great degree. Um, and interesting, the, the, the way I got into it really was um, my father passed away in 2014, um, in October. And when we went back, myself and my brother, for the, uh, the funeral, I saw how he was still working in the industry and I saw I was working in IT and they were very different, of course, two different industries, but um, the, the tools that he was using were probably still, you know, the phone. They all have uh, smartphones, all the, the owners and trainers, um, but they were only really just talking to each other and, and, and communicating either by phone or email. And there was no, you know, uh, no, no database, for want of a better word, of information on the, the horses they were managing. And so that got me thinking to see uh, why wasn't uh, technology used more often in, in horse racing and then I started to, to look into this idea of um, putting a, a device on the horse that you can track their, their vital signs and their, um, their speed, their acceleration, their stride, heart rate and temperature and feed that back to the trainer and owner to help them you know, better manage the, the health and performance of the horse. because. Uh, going back to my earlier point, I mean, people are, are really passionate about this sport. They, they, they love horses. They want um, the horse to do well. They want the horse to stay healthy. And it's not a, you know, although it is a big money business, it, it, people in the sport do not enter it for an investment purpose or for business. It really is a, a passion and something that uh, they're, they're passionate about. So giving them access to more information is something that uh, really can help them. No, and I, I can't imagine that that would be for, for all the... Um you know the pageantry and, and ceremony that goes around these things that, that that's not exactly a, an easy way for people to make a living i wouldn't think no it's, it's tough it's a tough business um definitely and uh i think that that was always my my, my father showed us that uh you know it wasn't easy you have to you know, dedicate a lot of time i mean it's definitely not a nine-to-five job right there's, there's no holidays essentially so um, you know, there's there's no day off when you when you have a farm and um, you're working on the land. There's there's no day off, um, but it is nice too because it's, it's a great community. People really do uh, help each other out. Um, it's a it's a, a great welcoming community, and I've found that as I've dipped my toe back into it, um, that people are more than willing to, to, to chat with me and, and talk with me and tell me what they think, and um, you know that that helps me as well because I'm I'm trying to develop something that is uh, that's for them. And they're more than willing to give up their time because um, you know they they realize what we're trying to do as well. 
So, so tell me more about this uh, this concept that you come up with, Paul. This um, is it a device? Is it an app? Uh, you know, tell, walk me through it. It's more the application and the data analytics. Um, so we, we are going to partner with companies that um, make the devices. So we're not making our own devices. We, there are other companies out there in the, the market that are doing this. Like I think, like any good idea, uh, there's going to be other people that want to take advantage of it too. Um, and it, it is starting to become more established. Um, the early adoption is, is just, uh, I would say, starting now um, uh, because people are, are getting into the whole um, Fitbit revolution, I guess, from a personal point of view, and people are now aware and, and they see what's capable for their own personal use. And then people are, are definitely on the professional sports side. Um, it's sports teams are starting to look at how, better, how best they can manage their athletes. And a good example of this is the Irish rugby team, for example. For the past, I think, two, three years, they have been tracking how their players um, move along the pitch, what distance they cover, um, to understand, you know, they, they might have a, a perception about one player playing a certain role and running a certain distance, but when you get the data back, it can be actually surprising um, that, that that's not in line with what you thought. And uh, the, the thing that is unique about horse racing is obviously there's, it's a data-driven sport because they you have a lot of information on these horses and that data is important. The past form is important, um, you know, how the, how the, the horse uh, reacts is important, um, but horses can't talk. So they really can't tell you as a player would to a coach saying, um, you know, I, I really can push myself even more or, you know, I, I've reached my limit. So I think what we're trying to do is help that fact that, you know, it, it's a... It's a Take a little bit of the guesswork a little out of it, um, but at the same time, it's never going to be a pure cut science. It's always an art to it, and what we're doing will never um, replace the natural horsemanship that, that that people in that industry have. Well, and you know, I mean, to your point, that's where the art part comes in, right? That that uh, you know, I, I guess jockeys would have to be specifically trained on on trying to read visceral signals from horses and, and that kind of thing too, would they? Yes, um, in the past it was um, something that, that um, was never really taught, I think, officially, but um, in, in the kind of last 20 years or so, um, there have been, you know, jockey schools. So apprentices would go to um, these, these uh, you know, schools to learn exactly what you're saying, and, and they, act, they put them on, um, it's probably easier to show a video to describe it, but almost like an animatronic horse where they're, they're sitting up and they're going through the motions just to practice that, um, it's, a, it's quite delicate art, and uh, you you get that intuition over time, um, so jockeys tend to start very, very young, and apprentice jockey will be about 15, 16 before they decide to, to go down that career, so um, they, they learn a lot from that time, and are very skilled, and, and uh, it's it, it's a mix of the skills that they learn and then intuition too, um, so some of the best jockeys can't really explain why they get the best set of horses and others don't so it's uh, that's the art part for sure now now you've even in the in the course of actually working on this um uh, you were telling me that you recently got a chance to go down to one of the triple crown sites yeah i was down uh, uh two weeks ago to uh, belmont um for the belmont stakes um so sorry last weekend um so it was my first time in uh in a, in a major race um in the u.s i've been to Keeneland before in Kentucky because uh, my brother uh, still lives out there, um, but it was great. It's a fantastic racetrack and very different from how the racing in Ireland is. Um, we're more used to national hunt where you know you jump over fences. This is all flat racing, um, and it was good. I mean, everyone expected uh, Exaggerator to, uh, to to come away and win, and uh, it was heavily backed, but um, there was an upset. So the creator won in the end. Um, a horse that was uh, not not that heavily fancied. Um, so it's good sometimes to see that surprise, you know, uh, and, and there's always going to be surprises in, in, in horse racing. The data can say one thing and then the, the horse is always going to surprise you, so that makes it really, really interesting. Well, and, and you know, the same could be held true of, uh, of any sport, right? Like my, my, uh, my father, who was a collegiate hockey player, used to say, if you get a group of guys together that want something bad enough, then amazing things happen, you know? Exactly, exactly. I think that's true. Um, you know, there, there have been some huge great upsets in sport. Um, so the, the big one that stands out for me is uh, probably Greece winning the Euros, um, I think in 2000 and, 
Oh, I don't know when it was. <laughs> I think it was 2004, 2005. Um, but uh, they, they, that was a big surprise. They beat uh, Portugal, and uh, you know, no one would have given them a chance on paper. Uh, but as you say, you put a group of people together, and sometimes it just it just clicks. It just works. So uh, when you when you were down at Belmont, I, I didn't realize you were there for the actual event, which is cool in and of itself because that's a, a you actually saw the the, the Belmont Stakes this year. Yeah, the Belmont Stakes, which is the final race of the uh, the Triple Crown. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The, 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 the Preakness and the Kentucky Derby are the other two. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, did you get? I mean, was this a good networking opportunity for you, or were you there as an observer? I, I guess you know, how did you make the most of your trip? Yeah, I, I, it was great um, from from an observation point of view, but also just to meet people um, in the industry and talk to them, talk to some owners and trainers, um, and, and get a sense of how, you know, what their feeling is and, and how open they are um, to, to this. And, and it was interesting to see that a lot of them were open for it, um, but they still maybe don't know what to do with the data. So I think what we're, you know, uh, focusing on is trying to make sense of that and not give someone a big spreadsheet and say, well, this is what the data says, go work it out, but really drill into the meaning and the outcome. So I'm, I'm getting into that area of machine learning, data science, and, and that's uh, extremely interesting. Um, I think, like I said, because we're collecting so much data from uh, horses and um, you know, there's, there's a lot out there, uh, there's a lot of great things that, we can, that can be done with that data. So we're, we're just at the starting point of it and uh, it's going to be interesting. So uh, it's, it's, it's a really nice area to get into. It's my first foray into entrepreneurship. Um, so it's, uh, it's exciting and, and, and nerve-wracking at the same time. Um, but I'm learning a lot about myself, and so far still having fun. Well, great. okay, now, now I'll, uh, I'll, I should have asked you this before, but do, do you actually have a name for the thing? Yeah, uh, we're, we're calling it gallop.ca, uh, so gallop is the, is the name, and uh, interesting enough, it's one that my son came up with, so um, I think he's going to be a better businessman than me. He's already uh, said that he wants naming rights uh, of, of uh, 5%. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's sharp. Um, so. Uh, but it's it's nice as well. It's kind of a, a family. It makes it a bit more of a family business in the sense that uh, there's obviously lots of other people involved outside of my family, but uh, they have helped tremendously to um, uh, to give me information and help me get back into the to the um, to the area. So my brother, cousins, um, uh, you know, my, my sisters as well, have really helped me. So. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that. It reminds me of a story. Uh, you, you know who Robert Altman is, the director? Yeah. So his son actually wrote. The theme song to Mash, right, which was a Robert Altman movie first, and he said my son made more money on that damn song than I ever did with that movie. Yeah, it's a catchy song, all right. <laughs> so, but, uh, uh, I mean, do you, do you have plans to? Uh, I, I guess what I'll, I'll ask you another question. What's the most surprising thing that you've learned yourself in, in the course of actually working on this? Oh, that's interesting. Um, what is the most surprising thing? Um, uh, what the most surprising is how open um, people are and how helpful people are when you ask them for help. When you, when you are open and transparent and, and you say, look, this is what I'm trying to do. Uh, can I have some of your time to talk about it? And I've, I've been amazed at how uh, people are willing to say yes. Um, people uh, that, that you, know, you don't know, that you're meeting for the first time. Um, some of them have been introduced to me and that's better. Um, but uh, that, that's that surprised me the most that um, you know there's a genuineness out there to uh, to help, and uh, I really appreciate that. Well, I mean, you're you're all you know headed towards the same goal, right? Though, which is to you know to optimize the performance of the uh, of the horses and to make the the sport more exciting, right? And and uh, you know to like you said, enhance the art, but use the information that is available to. It's a tool like anything else, right? Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, it's very true, um, and I think it's uh, something that, um, like I said, it, it's even people people are busy, but uh, they'll, they'll give up their time if, um, if, if they feel that it's, it's also in their, in their interest, like you say, because uh, they, they aren't that passionate about the sport. Well, yeah, and, and uh, I mean, you're, you're talking about people that are investing millions and millions of dollars in the animals and, and yes. you know, trying to bring top people into, I mean, they want the best of the best, right? Yeah, that's if you're true. gonna if you're gonna be competing on that level, then you you've got to have the you know every single resource that you can possibly think of. I would think. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely helps. And uh, I mean, I, you raise an interesting point though that that you know as soon as the numbers come out, everybody kind of just 
you know, the screensaver kicks on and they decide, oh, great, you know, what am I going to do with all this dry information? But uh, I, I could see how you would have the challenge of trying to conceptualize this and, and say, look, there is tangible value to this and this is why you have to have this. Yeah, yeah, that's, and, and we're still at the very early stages of that. I mean, we know that there's still a lot of work um, that, that has to be done before we, we get exactly where we want to be. Um, but that makes it also more interesting. I mean, if it was uh, cut and dry and an easy path, then it would be less interesting. And I think uh, it's a great time now to, to be in this area, like, you know, machine learning. Um, you know, people are just figuring out what, what's possible. And the biggest thing as well that... Um, we can do is experiment in lots of different ways and see what is the data telling us. Uh, most important though is, is the outcome, so we tend to focus a lot on the data and getting the right data and getting enough data, which is obviously important, but um, at a very basic level we need to know what are the outcomes that we're, we're trying to predict or trying to learn more about. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's challenging, it's going to be uh, head-wrecking I think at, at times, um, but uh, interesting. Have they given you any, you know, have some of the experts that you've consulted given you any insights that you wouldn't have otherwise considered about statistics that they would find relevant? Yeah, an interesting one was um, that a lot of the trainers are more focused on the stride length than the heart rate. Um, initially, I would have thought the heart rate would have been of more importance to them because, I mean, essentially you're, you're getting to understand what's going on inside of the horse. Um, but uh, many of them are more focused on, on the stride length and they can think, that will be able to tell them more about um, you know, how the horse is actually running and what they can do. Um, but I'm also surprised that, uh, you know, obviously the, 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 the knowledge that the trainers have and the owners have and, and, and vets is, um, you know, extremely detailed and um, it's, it's uh, humbling for me to, to talk to people who really know their profession extremely well and uh, that's, uh, I'm learning a lot. Uh, I'm going to take a quick pause here, uh, Paul. I think I've got uh, Kimber who's joining us. Kimber, is that you? Yes, it is. How are you? Hey, how are you doing? It's Casey Ryan with Cutting Room Floor. Happy Father's Day. Uh, yeah, I'm not a dad myself, but I do have somebody here that is. And uh, happy Father's Day uh, you know, to all the people in your family. I, I wanted to introduce you, Kimber, to a, um, uh, an old friend of mine here, Paul Tormey. And we were talking about uh, a device that he's developed or an application that uh, is designed to monitor uh, information in the horse racing business. Oh, wonderful! An entrepreneur. He actually got he actually got to uh, go to the uh, the Belmont Stakes this year, which was kind of cool. So absolutely good for you. Hi, Kimber. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Congratulations. Thank you. And uh, Paul, I just want to introduce you to Kimber, who comes to uh, uh, um, me by way of another mutual friend of ours, uh, Lynette Carrington. Uh, we're going to be talking to uh, Kimber about all the movie and TV work that she's done, but also uh, a program that she's developed uh, on image management called uh, The Wow Factor. So that's going to be the focus of the second half of the show. Okay, interesting. Um, I, my sister is in the film industry as well. She is a camera assistant, um, and uh, I've uh, learned a lot about that industry as well and how hardworking uh, people have. I mean, they have very long days in uh, in films, so uh, I have a lot of respect for, for anyone in that industry. Thank you for recognizing that. Yes, 12-hour plus days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Paul, I think we're going to wrap this up. Uh, I'll definitely be seeing you soon, of course. Uh, the last question I have for you uh, you know, a chance to, to promote this here. Where can people go? Do you have a website set up? Do you have any social media feeds to, to promote Gallup? Uh, really cool name, by the way, and you can tell your son I think he deserves that 5%. <laughs> Thank you. Right. Uh, yeah, the, the uh, company name is Gallup, and uh, the website is gallup.ca. Okay, is it uh, two L's or one? Two L's and two P's. Two L's? Okay. All right. So, Paul, again, thanks a lot for coming by. This was a fun conversation, and we'll definitely be talking soon. All right. Thanks for having me, Casey. All, All right. the best. Take care. Bye. Okay, so, uh, Kimber, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to play the Hollywood Rock and Wrap Up, and uh, I'm going to play this Father's Day, so I'm going to play one of my dad's favorite pieces of music. Uh, so I'm going to play The Highwayman. Uh, the uh, greats there are Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, Chris Christopherson, and uh, headed up by Waylon Jennings, and then we're going to be coming back and I'll be talking with you. All right? It's some of my favorites. Thank you. All right, so if you can uh, please just put yourself on mute there, and we'll be right back. Okay, thank you.
It's the Hollywood Rock and Wrap Up with your host, Jason Hadley. Plus size model Ashley Graham posted a photo for fans revealing her cellulite in an effort to promote body positivity. The first plus size model to grace the cover of Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. Let's just say the only rack bigger than Ashley Graham's was the one that holds the magazines. Lil Wayne went on the record saying the seizures that forced his private plane to make an emergency landing was not due to drinking Scissorp, but rather not taking his medication. Scissorp, of course, contains high amounts of prescription-level codeine and promethazine. He was taking someone else's medication. The Dalai Lama was asked by paparazzi what his favorite Richard Gere movie is. He and the actor are widely known to be very close friends, as every year for his birthday, Gear sends His Holiness a bouquet of reincarnations. Lord Buddha, I know I'm not supposed to want stuff, but come on! And that's the Hollywood Rockin' Wrap-Up. Follow us on Twitter, at Rockin' Wrap-Up. There's a commercial attached to that video. I'm calling it up. Just give me a second here. All right. Okay. So I'm, putting, I... I'm putting it on. Okay. So we're, we're going to play the high remote now. All Hard across the Texas plains Makes some people go insane While others quietly pray for rain That's where we came from Two boys playing in the burning sun One with books, one with guns Mama calls, but just one comes The other one runs with a Christian sense of wrong and right We were born and raised in black and white One learned to pray, one loved to fight We were born and raised in black and white We were born and raised in black and white Brother took to the gospel road Spent his whole life saving souls when he looked at me, his blood ran cold, he didn't even try. I had no dreams, I had no plans, but a gun felt good in my right hand. The warden asked, how come you killed that man? I said, I don't know why. Don't wait. 
and Johnny there, uh, the Highwaymen, the super group, when they were, uh, did two albums together, Highwaymen and Highwaymen 2, uh, a bunch of my dad's favorites, and that was part of a lot of uh, the soundtrack to a lot of long car trips with the Ryan family, I can tell you that. <laughs> uh, so I have uh, Kimberly uh, on the line here again with a, uh, a very big thank you to Lynette Carrington, who's a, uh, a mutual friend of ours, one of the nicest people you will ever meet. Uh, one of the smartest people that you'll ever meet, and um, it's always a point of pride uh, when I get to work with somebody that uh, Lynette points in my direction. She set me up with dozens and dozens of interviews in addition to being on the show herself a couple of times. Um, so Kimberly, just to give you some information on her, is an award-winning actor, producer, director, uh, who's uh, done over 100, uh, 140 TV episodes and 40 films, excuse me very much. Uh, she's also a social media journalist and has interviewed some high-profile people, and she is, currently has a program for image management uh, that she's branded as the wow factor, and we're going to be talking about that primarily and a few other cool things, too. So uh, without further ado, the Cunning Room 4 proudly welcomes for the first time Kimberly. Uh, Kimber, how are you? Great, Casey. Thank you so much, and I want to give a big shout-out and a huge thank you to Lynette Carrington. You said that, and she's so much more. And uh, also, I want to say Happy Father's Day to all the wonderful, loving husbands, fathers out there. Yeah, and uh, you wanted me to uh, to mention this to uh, to give a uh, sort of a tip of the hat to your your own father who uh, who passed away, right? Oh, absolutely. Yes, he. Uh, oh, I <laughs> I don't know if I can get through that without tears. So I maybe. <laughs> Just uh, having this opportunity does bring tears to my eyes. My dad was a very hardworking man, and uh, he had a very difficult life, and I never, ever saw him sad or, uh, you know, he, he would complain about things in, in life that had nothing to do with his personal life, but with his personal life and all the obstacles that were presented to him, he always held his head up high, he put one foot in front of the other, and he was an amazing man in my eyes. And, and you know, like I'll echo that. My, my father is still with us, but, but uh, he spent 40 years as a uh, guidance counselor in a high school. And a lot of that is dealing with situations that aren't all that pleasant with kids and, and troubled families and things like that. So, I mean, you can just imagine some of the stories that he heard. And he never once came home with a scowl on his face or was upset about anything. He just... You know, it was it was part of his life, but it didn't define him. You know, and that, I, I always admired the fact that he had the strength to, to kind of separate that. You know? Yes, and, and you used a good word to describe strength because that's what I got as a, as a learning device. My father taught without actually teaching. He taught through actions, never the words. So I think I would prefer that. So on the subject of strength, right, this, this is a good segue. Right now, you've developed a program called the Wow Factor. Yes, the uh, the Wow Factor is layman terms for uh, the metaphysical science behind the physical concept of reality. I had back in 1999, I had something personal happen to me that put me in a situation that I needed to learn more about life love existence and, and what is it and why is it and why do we go through things that are oftentimes painful and not understood and so um, at that time I was a flight attendant and I sat in my jump seat and I, I had very good seniority I was number six on the seniority list but I would bid the all-nighters so that I could have peace and quiet to study and I sat in the jump seat and read book after book and sometimes read the same book eight times over and I had a thirst for you know what is 
the unknown <laughs> is the best way that I can put it. So after many, many years of researching and reading and then experimenting with my own life, I realized that there's something greater out there that I could share with people. So uh, if I met a very awesome individual, his name is Summers White, and I've been mentoring under him, and we uh, came up with the concept of the wow factor. And the wow factor is, you often hear, Casey, when people say, everything you need is on the inside. Everything you need is on the inside of you. Well, no one tells you what is in there, what the keys are to unlock what is in there. And so I believe I have that perfected formula to help you go inside with the GPS directions and the golden key to unlock that information. And I, I mean, this is... Uh... I mean, this is a big business, right? I, you know, in terms of trying to, you know, make the most of yourself. And I, I mean, there's, you know, you think of the, the number of people that are, you know, seeing therapists and iron initiators out and trying to, you know, advance their careers because they, they don't think that they're strong enough mentally or whatever it is. But, but uh, I guess what's unique about your approach? Well, what's unique about my approach is that I uh, allow people to understand that first and foremost that we are spiritual beings having a human experience. Most people believe they are human beings and they're looking for that spiritual aspect of life outside of themselves. And it isn't out there, it is inside. And without giving away too much more information, that little bit of information right there has been life-changing for most people when they sit in front of me and I share that their eyes just like they're fixated and they they get it so I, I do you do this as a one-to-one -one scenario or do you offer her like a, a series of seminars I, I, I guess what's the what's the formula for it okay well uh, I have been doing one-on-ones uh, I prefer the one-on-ones because everybody's situation is different be it uh, a death in their family to someone close to them, or it's business-related, or it's their love life, or whatever their situation is. I prefer the one-on-ones because I can really spend quality time. I spend five or plus hours at one sitting, and that's what's unique versus any other type of sitting across the table from somebody. I give you... What you need as far as time goes because that is necessary. You can't take someone somewhere in an hour. No. Uh, no. But I, I, okay, how can I put my thought together here? Um, do you specialize in, in any particular angle of people's lives? Like, is, is it more of a, a question of their love life not being happy? Or uh, do you prefer to do professional career counseling and, and, and that kind of thing? I, I, I guess, what do you like to work on the most? Or do you do all of it? I do all of it. It's, it's, I've been through all of it. Uh, I've been through, you know, the loss of life many times over in my own personal life. I have lost two brothers and a mother, uh, two brothers to suicide and a mother a form of, and uh, everything in between of that. In my own life, I've lost love, uh, animals, <laughs> and then I've gained. I've gained uh, incredible amounts of work that I've never had to go look for and opportunities and careers that I never had to go look for, but all because of the formula that I used on myself because if it doesn't work for me, how am I ever going to share that with someone else? So you asked me if I like to do workshops. I do do workshops. I have done them. Uh, it's a little bit more difficult to get really involved in each person individually. I also do speaking engagements about the wow factor. And we you know, touch on it in a way that... We invite people to have a one-on-one -on -one or get a group of people and have a workshop. Now, this to me, the way that you're outlining it, screams a book, right? And <laughs> I mean, to, this is something that I could easily see. on the, Even the way that you branded it in the, in the flyers that you sent me, I said I can just see this on the shelves at Chapters or Barnes & Noble or whatever it is. 
have you ever thought of going that route? Wow, you know, and, and then I use the word wow. I have been told that by every person that I meet. And uh, they, they ask me about a book, are you going to do that? It has been a thought in the very back of my head. I'm thinking maybe I should bring it to the forefront. The reason why it hasn't been yet is because there's still so much more that I'm learning through the one-on-ones through experimenting with myself it's almost like the knowledge rate is accelerated and just in this past month i have learned so much more than i knew last you know the last 30 days so to put a book together might be unfair to for all of the information that needs to be in there in this now moment so Okay, I'll, I'll put it to you another way. You mentioned that you like to do one-on-ones, and I know that you have a lot of um, a lot of television experience. Yes. Right? Uh, lots of shows out there deal topically with uh, you know talk TV, then you know bring people on to talk about uh, you know to iron out difficulties, and you know, do- I'll throw out Doctor Phil, even though uh, it's probably a bad analogy. But have you? thought of maybe expanding it that way uh yeah well i haven't until you just said something but uh, i do have a tremendous amount of tv background as a producer and a host and i think it would be really uh, uh an awesome segue but the one thing that i don't want to happen that is hap that happens out there is the exploitation of of people because then my wow factor isn't a wow factor no, and you're right. It is easy to, to, to fall into that trap, right? That, that, you know, to sensationalize and go for the gooey details and, and lose sight of why the people are there to begin with. Right. So um, with everything that I know, the knowledge that I have with how the universe brings things to you, it will be interesting. One of the things that I do teach with the wild factor also is the intention behind your vision, you know, it's great to have the vision and the idea of what it is you want, either in your business love or financial life, but you have to have that pure intention behind it. It's almost like you put it out there and then with your intention is just the army that is forcing it out. And without, and again, I have to be careful because if I give right now too much information, then it might be misunderstood because I really dig deep and I just gave two one-on-ones recently and the last one that I gave uh, I asked the individual is this the wow factor what you received anything like you thought it would be and they said absolutely not that it was so much more and we had a miracle happen after the session that was pure validation that we were both on the right track so when you're thinking about, I, I mean, I, I would imagine that to a certain extent, and I, I, I don't want anybody to, have, from, from what I'm about to say, to think that you're turning people away or anything like that, but I mean, your time is finite. What kinds of things do you look for when you're thinking about taking on a client versus somebody else? I, the, the beauty of what I do is the people that need what I have to offer find me. I don't look for them. Okay. So the minute I get the email, the phone call, I know that they are, we are to be in the same space at the same time and that I am to help them. So that's the beauty of what I do too. It's, it's purely on a non-physical understand, understanding of 3D reality. It takes it a step further. And with that, the hopes for what I get out of it is that the level of consciousness for humanity raises itself because uh, it's certainly needed what you say. So um, has this process for you changed? First of all, how long have you been doing it? I've been doing it a lot longer than I realized. Okay. Um, yeah, it, under my mentor, I realized that I had been doing it for many, many years. I just wasn't offering it as a uh, package as, and for my benefit to uh, get something in return. 
So uh, it's been something that's been ongoing, and uh, and now it actually is a real live uh, opportunity. Uh, now, I, I guess this was, uh, one of the other questions I wanted to ask you was, uh, I know that you just finished a movie as well. You, you've had many different facets to your career, right? Yes, I like to milk a cow from every nipple. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want just one cow in my yard. I want a pasture. So, uh, yes, I just completed a feature film called That's Not My Mother. It was written, produced, and directed by James Brandt. And uh, we had shot it this past year. We just finished up uh, spring break of this year. And I got to play uh, four different characters, one being a Belphegor female, which is something totally opposite of anything I want to do or be in life. But the challenge to play such an incredible role, something unique and different for me, and then to have all the other characters tied in with it was a pure challenge. Okay, in layman's terms, what's a Belphegor female? A Belphegor female is the female aspect of the male devil. But the Belphegor, what she does is she morphs in and out of uh, situations and people to uh, help the male uh, finish his job. And though it seems dark, uh, the Belphegor the, uh, the male was just simply trying to rid the world of all of the nasty. So <laughs> that's what we tell people. <laughs> and uh, when is this going to be in a position for people to be able to see? Is it, is it in post now? Or, or like, uh, yes, it's, it's in post-production. Uh, it's being edited right now. And, uh, you know, with film, everything takes so long. TV production, you can shoot it in one day, you can edit it the same day, and you can air it the next day. But with film, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you, you have the sound issues, you have lighting, you have special effects. Especially with this movie, there's, you know, going to be some special effects involved with it. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be, a, I, I'm very excited. It has first rights, foreign look for distribution. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, another thing I was kind of curious about, because I, I do a fair amount of that in the process of doing this show, but, but um, I noticed that you're also a social media journalist. Yes, uh, I, I produced and hosted 100 episodes of a show called The Global Rescuers. Okay. Another dear, dear project to my heart, because it's uh, the concept of people rescuing animals, animals rescuing people, and people rescuing their communities. Once again, at the time that I was doing that, wasn't really realizing how much the wow factor came into that, but uh, to raise the level of consciousness for the animal kingdom. Because if you do that, and when you do that, then humanity really is the next step. So uh, Arizona was one of the top in the nation for euthanasia of animals and that's why the show started and from there we produced 100 episodes that are currently airing on voiceamerica.tv on their variety channel and I'd like to thank Jeff Spinard and John Missile so much for allowing every episode to be on there. Okay, and, and when you say, uh, I just wanted to clarify a comment that you made, that when you say that, that Arizona was the, the, the top state or one of the top areas for, for animal euthanasia, you're talking about the actual grade of ethical treatment of animals, right, That, that uh, to, to allow them to die with dignity, basically. Well, yeah, there were, there were a lot of uh, uh, sur owner surrenders, uh, also, too, Arizona was one of the top in the nation for the uh, foreclosure of homes. So, if you can't keep your home and your, you know, and provide a home for your children, then you really can't for your dogs. But it's easier to leave your dogs behind. You would never leave your children behind. Let's hope not. So, what was happening was there were tons of animals without homes, and people would take them to the shelter. You would think that they would get adopted, but their lifespan in the shelter may be 72 hours. So, and, and this time of year, there's a lot of owner surrenders. We still have a huge problem. 
there are about 150 rescues plus here in Arizona. So we did at least 70 some shows on 70 different rescue groups. And each one certainly was different. So you know, what is it about this time of year that, that would uh, you know, cause that to, to happen? You said that this was a bit of a sort of a peak season for this. Uh, I don't, personally, I don't know why, but I would have to say that, you know, a lot of it, maybe people see animals being tied up outside and they call animal control. Uh, it's because it's inhumane to leave an animal in 117 degree. Today here in Maricopa, it is 122 today. Oh, Lord. Yes, so people, please do not leave your animals outside. And if you do, put them in the shade. Please provide a lot of water. And uh, But the show, is, it, we tell stories of that. And yes, they were, the animal treatment, it was either abuse or neglect or, you know, uh, just can't provide food, shelter. It's funny, I, I'll, I'll tell you a cute little story. We, my wife and I have a little Shih Tzu poodle cross and... and... I mean, she reacts badly to the heat, and we, we do everything we can to keep her comfortable. So I, I had my air conditioning guy come in and, and fix our unit. I learned very quickly that my dog knows what the air conditioning is for because she sat there watching the guy repair the whole thing. So. Yes, they're very smart. <laughs> and you are a dad, cause see. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We got our little, uh, we got our little furry child there. So. Yes. So. Um, we have to kind of tie this up, Kimber, but this has been a lot of fun. Uh, where can people go to learn more about the Wow Factor or to follow you on Twitter? I know that you're, uh, you have a Twitter account like myself, but where uh, can people go to learn more about you? Yeah, they can go to the Wow Factor on Facebook. It's the the Wow Factor. It's the only one on there. If you click on there, you'll see testimonies of people that have had the experience, what they have to say some of the workshops that I've given and uh, et cetera. Also, I'm on facebook.com slash Kimber A. Lee. Same thing, twitter.com slash Kimber A. Lee. And uh, thank you so much, Casey. Thank you, Lynette, for this opportunity referral. I wish you all the best. No, and I'd be happy to have you back anytime that you like. All right, so you know, open door invitation. You'll be part of what I uh, call ask Lynette. You'll be part of my repeat offenders club. Right? Hey, if I'm a good repeat offender, let's do it. All right, cool. All right, so that's going to about do it for me uh, this week. Uh, again, I wanted to thank my old buddy Paul Tormey for uh, for stopping by to talk about Gallup and to Lynette again for uh, this referral. Uh, I'm going to be doing a bonus show on Friday, even though it's St. John the Baptist Day, so Quebec, everything's closed, but I'm going to do a show anyway, so look for that at noon on Friday. I'm going to be talking with... Uh, uh, the Mafia hairdresser, John David. And then next week at the uh, the same time here, I'm going to be back with the Tattooed Bananas podcast. I've wanted to do this show for a long time. These guys are a riot. And uh, actress Carissa Sierra, uh, uh, uh Rentera, who has been uh, somebody that I've spoken with many times on, uh, on Facebook over the years, is going to be here as well. All right. So you guys be good. Happy Father's Day to everybody. And we'll talk to you soon. Cut, print, wrap, and I am done. That was another edition of The Cutting Room Floor with your host, Casey Ryan. Follow Casey on Twitter at Cutting Room MRB and on Facebook, The Cutting Room Floor.